you will please turn with me to Acts chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 42 through the end of the chapter. We began Acts 5 last week. And so before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his, for his help with it. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would forever hold it in front of us in such a way as to not only guide us through life and show us what it is you require of us, but also, Lord, that we would be convicted of our sin as we see more and more our inability to measure up to it. Lord, that will help us to rely solely on you who did 100% measure up to it. And so as we come to your word, Lord, do just that. Show us our sin that we might might rely on you. Show us how we ought to live, how we ought to worship. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as I read this passage this week, it made me think of the story or the phrase that we've all heard lots and lots of times. uh, The phrase, goody two-shoes. You know, when someone is called... uh, a goody two shoes because they do too many good things, which is kind of a weird thing if you think about it. Well, I was like, okay, where does this phrase come from? Well, apparently there's a story from the like 1600s, maybe even earlier than that, about a little girl named uh, Goody Two Shoes. Well, that wasn't her original name. Her original name was Marjorie Meanwell. Uh, I love some of the names and the stories back then because they just kind of named them what they were going to do. Uh, She was orphaned at a very young age, and she walked through town barefoot. She didn't have any shoes. Uh, And then one of the local pastors actually arranged for her to get a pair of shoes. And so when she got a pair of shoes, she was so thrilled about it, she ran around everybody telling everybody, I've got two shoes, I've got two shoes. And so they gave her the nickname, Goody Two Shoes. And that's how she was known in town for her Life. She grew up in town doing lots and lots of good deeds for the people. Uh, it's a pretty interesting story. It's free online. I encourage you to go read it. She was ended up being a teacher uh, of the school children in the town as she grew up, and then she eventually married a, a wealthy man, and everyone in town celebrated because Goody Two-Shoes was considered to be the most virtuous person that anyone knew. So here's the question. Read this story, I was just shocked. I was like, wow, this is a really good story. How does this, how do we get from this really good old children's story to about an orphan doing good for people and everyone loving it to using the name to insult folks who do good as if doing good is a bad thing? One word, jealousy. Matthew Henry said this of this passage. He said, never did any good work go on without or with any hope of success, but it met with opposition. Those that are bent to do mischief cannot be reconciled to those who make it their business to do good. We see some of this play out in the stories in Scripture, not just the one that we have in front of us, but many stories in Scripture. For some reason, we, let's make it about us instead of them, We don't like it when other people do good, probably because 
We'd rather have the recognition that they're receiving. Maybe that's part of it. We'd rather be talked about in a, in a good light rather than a bad one, or worse, not to be talked about at all. This, is, this has to do a lot with our faith as well. It's one thing to be insulted for doing good. It's quite another to show ourselves to be false by not having ever done any good. We see both of the ideas in our text today where believers doing the works of the Lord in the name of Jesus, the Sadducees, this religious group, uh, as it were, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Uh, they're jealous of the apostles and they end up wanting them dead. But another one of the council, a Pharisee, stands up and wants them to be able to prove themselves, give them a chance. We are given that same sort of chance, particularly in a country where we aren't being arrested simply for doing good things in the name of Jesus and preaching in his name. We're not arrested for that, thankfully. So as we look at this passage, I want to consider three main ideas. The believers doing good works, the enemies jealous of those good works, and thirdly, believers proof by good works. And so with that, let's look at the text, Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the hands, or among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And they, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came to those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering about how this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. 
And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill him. But a Pharisee of the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For, for before these days, Thutis stood up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. They took his advice. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the name of Christ, the name or preaching that Christ is Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So real quick, remember last week we looked at the story of Ananias and Sapphira, their death at the hands of the Lord. They lied about the land they sold, which caused division or would have caused division for sure in the church. So the Lord got rid of them. Uh, this week, we're going to see the church acting as one again, very much so, but this time with the apostles doing these acts of healing. And so just a word on this. I think we're, we'll see this throughout the book of Acts, and I think it's important for us to kind of keep grounded here. This type of thing is not happening today. Uh, when you see these things happening in history, in the history of the church, um, it's when the church is receiving direct revelation from the Lord. These men, the apostles, were receiving directly from the Lord what they were to say, what they were to write down, what we have today. And when the patriarchs, you know, think of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and those men, and Moses, and the prophets, all the prophets of the Old Testament, when they were doing their work and miracles and signs were happening through them, they were directly uh, mediating for the people. Same kind of idea. They were receiving this direct revelation. The apostles were doing a very similar ministry to those men. And the signs and wonders had a way then of corroborating the word that they were preaching. Yes, the word is true. Look, people are being healed. So why don't we need these things today? Admittedly, it would be nice if we could perform these types of signs and wonders today to say, look, God is real. You know, if our motives are pure, we'd obviously want to do so, so that many would believe, right? If our motives were pure, it would be really hard to have those. I can't imagine being able to walk down the street and people being healed just by being in your shadow. It's an awful lot of responsibility. Uh, so what is the problem with that? Well, Jesus' words in Luke 16 show us the problem with that. This is the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, if you guys uh, remember that parable, the rich man is in hell and he's desperate to tell his relatives so that they won't suffer. Turn with me quickly to Luke 16 and we'll look at this. 
I think this is a good passage to ground us when we think, well, why don't we have these things today? Or why aren't these things happening today? I think it's a good passage for us. Luke 16, and I'll start at verse 27. Again, Lazarus in hell, and he's suffering, and he wants to tell his family. He says this, And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, him being Lazarus. For I have five brothers, so that they may, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is Jesus telling us here through this story? What is he saying? Well, today, what do we celebrate? We celebrate... Worldwide, the church is celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which hopefully they're doing every single Sunday. But consider the response. On this day that we celebrate the resurrection, it's a known thing even among the public, there will be people that will attend church today that haven't attended all year and won't again. Why? Because they're not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. They're not going to hear Moses. They're not going to hear the prophets. The Old Testament hasn't convinced them. Then why would the New Testament convince them? Why would anything convince them? If we walk down the streets doing miracles like Peter and the apostles were able to do, it wouldn't convince the lost. We have to understand that. I think that helps us ground us in this type of thing when we see these miracles. We don't need these types of signs and wonders because we have something the apostles did not. We have the complete word of God that we were able to open and read it. They preached it. Their words were written down for us. We have them. If folks won't believe this, they wouldn't believe if we raised someone from the dead. They wouldn't believe if we walked and cast our shadow on them and healed them. The power to save is the same today as it was then. It was the Lord's. He has chosen to use the preaching of his word to do this work today. That's why we hold it in such high esteem. And that brings us to the first point. Believers doing the good works. Verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Notice again. These signs and wonders are being done by the apostles. Not that they were the only ones that were able to do signs and wonders. But their office, the apostle is now closed. We've talked about that before. There are no more apostles. This office with it carried with it authority. When they did these works, people noticed. And you see that in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You kind of have this, this uh, balance here. You have some that aren't wouldn't dare join them. You have some that held them in high esteem. Why wouldn't they dare join them? Well, you should read the beginning of chapter five or chapter five again. This is kind of a continuation of what's going on from chapter five. These believers that were with the apostles, they were who they said they were. Hypocritical types like Ananias and Sapphira, they they weren't welcome. And there was some fear that was associated with that, like we talked about last week. Not only did the pressure come from society and the leaders, but also from God himself. 
who dealt with hypocrisy in a very tangible way with those two individuals. This kind of authenticity, or will this kind of authenticity ever do damage to the church? No, it was doing the opposite to the church. Look at verse 14, what was going on. And more than ever, we've been told several times up to this point in the book of Acts, that thousands were being added, but now, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women being added to the number that were the the believers there. Obviously, the work of the Lord is front and center in this situation. His direct work in the hearts of the multitude saved them. But what kept them involved, what kept them in this growing and thriving church, it was folks who did what they believed. Those two things matched. It's something we value today. Were they only doing these good works to other believers, to the people who readily accepted them? No, it was for anyone who had need. People just wanted to get near Peter. You can almost imagine he can't even like go to get a gallon of milk or whatever. He's trying to go to the store and people are throwing themselves out in the street so they can just be in his shadow so that they might get healed. Folks from all over are coming around into Jerusalem. They're healing the sick. They're casting out demons in the name of Christ. They're receiving healing and deliverance. Just like Jesus, the apostles did not limit this type of ministry only to people who believed in him, but to anyone so that they might hear the name of Jesus and be saved. And so there's a real application for us here. First, being people who work with lost and with hurting people always and being people who are hurting ourselves in many ways, it causes us to really up our game concerning our own righteousness. And again, not the righteousness that that brings about salvation in our lives, obviously, but the righteousness that we have because we're saved. What did Jesus give us? His own righteousness. What has he prepared for us? Good works that we might walk in them. Well, do others see that? Do others see that going on? Or are those good works simply something that we've pasted onto a cruddy heart? Let me explain. Paul Tripp talks about this idea of fruit stapling. If you're familiar with Paul Tripp, incredible uh, biblical counselor, pastor, uh, he talks about this idea of fruit stapling, acting like we think we should act just to fit in with a group of, of people, but not really doing that from a changed heart. You understand the idea of a fruit. Jesus said that uh, the, a tree will bear its fruit, and if it's a good tree, it will bear good fruit. And so the believers should be bearing fruit. Well, what if we're not, and we want to pretend that we are? What if my tree is really kind of not good at all, but I want to have the appearance of doing that? Well, I'll take some good fruit, and I'll kind of staple it onto my tree. You can really get this picture of stapled fruit. It would be messy. What happens to the fruit if you put staples in it? Well, it will eventually wear out and um, it's just going to look bad. It's going to be fake and no one can really sustain that for any amount of time. We eventually get tired of stapling the same pieces of fruit onto our messed up tree. And we just like the bad tree again and we grow bad fruit. A lot of times, what is this called in our Christian culture? This is the idea of backsliding, maybe even worse. It's a dangerous spiritual place to be. What is the answer to this? 
The answer is simple. It's the same gospel that we preach. We need more and more of the gospel. As soon as we begin attaching some sort of work that we can do to make this better, well, I'm really struggling. I just need to have my quiet times need to be 10 minutes longer, and I think that'll help. No, you need Jesus. You need the gospel. You don't need seven steps to get better. You need Jesus. One step. Do we trust that he is our goodness, even when our best is failing? When we embrace this truth, we are truly able to help other people. We must rejoice also in the good works of others. It can't be about us. And I think that's an important thing that you see in the early church. They celebrated together these things that were going on. I can't imagine the kind of man that Peter had to be to be able to walk down the street and to see people healed because of his shadow and to still be humble as he was. He was a sinner, to be sure. He wasn't perfectly humble or anything like that, but he was a man that attributed all of, attributed all of this to Christ. Not anything good in him, but only to Jesus can read his writings you can see the rest of his works in this book and so i think it's important for us as we look at this next point in particular if we are out for our own renown our own fame then we're going to be jealous anytime anyone else gets recognized for anything good that they're doing but if we're out for the renown and the fame of jesus christ that we're going to be thrilled then anytime his name is mentioned even if it's not us doing it that brings us to the second point, the enemies being jealous of the good works of the apostles. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So you have these high priests and this, this, this group of people called the Sadducees, and they made up this council, which is probably the Sanhedrin, and they wrote, they rose up, and what, what did they do? Well, they went and found the apostles, and they arrested them because they had committed some horrible crime. No, because they were jealous. Again, they were arrested because they were doing something good and right. They were meeting the needs of people all over Jerusalem, even from outside of Jerusalem. They weren't doing anything wrong. But because they were preaching the name of Jesus Christ, they were arrested and thrown in jail. The whole jail thing didn't work out for uh, the high council. The Lord saw fit to bust them out of prison, instructed them to immediately go back and do the thing that you were arrested for in the temple, which is where these people that arrested them would have been, into the temple and do that. And so guess what they did? They, they woke up the next morning and they did just that. They went to the teacher or went to the temple and they were preaching and teaching the name of Christ, pouring salt in the wound of the officials that just arrested them. And they went, so they went and found them again. I love how the text makes sure that we understand now, not by force because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And then they asked them this question, verses 27 and 28. And when they had brought them, they set before the, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. 
Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So they, 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 uh, the, the high priest and the council said, you intend to bring this man, Jesus, his blood upon us. Meaning, they were preaching Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, which was orchestrated, of course, by God 100%. But they were concerned because you're blaming it on us, the leaders. So Peter answers this, and he answers it immediately by placing the blame right where it lies. Look at verses 29 through 32. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. I'm sure they loved to hear that. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Notice Peter doesn't shy away from them at all. A man of uncommon boldness. But what's the message here? It wasn't just, uh, you did kill Jesus. It wasn't to remind them of that. But the message here is to, to remind them that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has been the message every single time they brought him and questioned him. It was the message when Peter preached at Pentecost. It'll be continuing, to, it'll continue to be his message throughout the whole book. It's his message, if you read First and Second Peter, that is the message of those letters as well, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his directive to us to preach that same message. We preach the power of the resurrection, not just today on Resurrection Sunday, but every single Sunday, because that is the hope. What else could we talk about? Every single day of the week, it should be our focus. And we not only preach the power of the resurrection, but we preach it in such a way to call men and women to repentance. Notice, he calls these Jewish leaders to repentance right there, and he offers them that. Because Peter's a good guy, and he's offering his enemies this sort of repentance. He could have reserved this message for only for those who liked him, not for those who have thrown him in prison now three times. But he preached it to his enemies, even when they were telling him not to do that. What's his? What's their response? 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. When they did these good things, Peter, the apostles, the enemies reacted with jealousy. When the, the apostles doubled down on that, they wanted to kill them. Brothers and sisters, we have to be instructed here. When I look at the good works of another believer, and I think that makes me mad, I'm not at odds with that person. I'm at odds with the work of Christ. Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Lest we think that we don't say these types of things or thank them. Mark chapter 9. Verses 38 through 41. Unless we think that Peter and the apostles were always not guilty of these sorts of things. 
John said to him, this is John, one of the apostles, one of the leaders, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to or will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So let's rephrase this so that we can understand it. You know, we, we, we think these types of things all the time. Well, I mean, let me just give you a couple of instances, maybe things that we've thought. Well, we didn't like what they were doing because they're such and such denomination. We don't agree with them, so we don't like what they're doing. Or that church down the road is having a community event. But we tell people they, we're not going to tell people that they should go there because we want them to come to church here instead. Or things that we just say in our heart. Look how good people talk about her. Look at all the nice things they say. I wish people talked about me that way. And I hate her for it. We'd never say that out loud, of course. But these are the things that we say in our hearts. What does Jesus say? For the one who is not against us is for us. Conversely, the one who is against us is for them. Again, this is a hard issue. We have no problem seeing this as an issue that the Sadducees and Pharisees have. Obviously, they're jealous of the apostles for doing good things. But we have got to see that the only difference between us and them is not our goodness. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm better than the Sadducees here in this story or better than the Pharisees or better than whoever. The only difference between me and them is Jesus, not me. We have to, we have to understand that. We have those same tendencies. We sometimes want people who are doing good things to fail. Because we're messed up people. However, the more and more we die to self and see those good things that people are doing, the churches in this county, our, our friends who are believers who aren't a part of this church, the more and more we see those things as outworking of Christ's work and going for the glory of God and the spreading of the kingdom, the more that we'll be at peace with the works of others. At the same time, what are we going to see our own desire to do good works do? Increase. We'll see our own desire to see this to lost saved increased as well. And that brings us to the third point. Believers, proof by good works. And so here they are. These uh, Sadducees and this council is enraged. They want to kill them because, the, because Peter's not afraid of them, basically. And... This other Pharisee stands up. Verse 34. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, and he gives a couple of stories about one who rose up and 400 died with him and another who rose up and all of his people are scattered and 
so forth, in verse 38, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. They took his advice. Now they made sure to beat the disciples up before they let them go. That was funny. Uh, But they took his advice. What's going on here? Gamaliel seems to be a pretty wise guy. Others have risen up in the past. And who are these others? Well, if we read through history, we know that in this time, in this period of time, many rose up to say, I am the Messiah. And they all had these followers going after them. And every single time, Rome snuffed them out. The, the scatter or the followers scattered, and they weren't reorganized. Why? Because they weren't real. It wasn't a real thing. If it's not from God, it'll go away. But if it is, if it is from God, if this is God's will that this would happen, you won't be able to stop it. Not only that, but you'll be in opposition of God Himself. Which, if you just read the beginning of chapter 5, you understand quickly that that is no place that any man or woman wants to be in. And they went from there. And what did they immediately start doing again? Even though they were told, now don't talk about this anymore. They did not cease preaching and teaching concerning the name of Jesus Christ. And guess what? The leaders did not cease their persecution of the church. What can we take away from this? This idea of efforts from God. Nothing can make it fail. That the apostles were being asked to go ahead, show us. If this is real, go ahead and show us. A couple years ago, when I was in youth ministry, it's been more than a couple now. It's been a long time, about 2010-ish or so. After, uh, so I was at this conference kind of thing. Uh, you know, youth conferences, they kind of have all this smoke and mirrors and lights and everyone's excited. And so the, the guy who was giving the talk asked the students to, uh, well, he asked all of us as youth pastors to stand on the end of the row, which of course, you know, just made me thrilled to stand up there and have this show going on. And he had the students one by one come up to us as the youth pastor to tell us about the commitment that they had made just then in the light of their schools and sharing the name of Jesus with their friends. And they were supposed to come over me and tell me about their commitment. Well, of course, you know me, being such a fan of sentimentality, I asked each student as they came to me, I looked them in the eyes and I said, do you want me to ask you about this next week? Without exception, Every single student said no and walked away. They didn't want to be held to the commitment that they had made. Why? Because they hadn't really made a commitment. Have we? The apostles, the early church, they proved their works from there. How do we know? We, we have it written down. Read history. We know. Is it from the Lord? Absolutely. Were they able to stop it? No. Will it ever be able to be stopped? Absolutely not. 
even in the face of opposition, and sometimes because of the opposition, the church grew and thrived. They continued to do the works of the Lord. Even though others, at, during times in history, people would say, you shouldn't help those people. That they were committed. And it wasn't because of their own fame. Think about this for just a second. I mean, who would die on purpose? Peter knew that he could die at any moment for standing up to these leaders. Who would do that on purpose if it was about him? If it was about Peter's fame for one second, why would he go into this meeting with these, this council and say, well, I know I'm going to die, but I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be famous for this. No, it defeats the purpose. If you really want to be famous, then you want to experience that fame, right? You don't want to die because of it. But who would die in order to see the glory of Jesus Christ increased? I can name 12. I can know, I know about thousands and thousands more throughout history that did just that. There's another chapter coming up in just a few, few weeks where there's a man who does that for the church. Thousands through history have done just that. And so what is the question that we should regularly ask ourselves? no one ever found out that I did a good thing or said a good thing, would I still do it? If no one ever found out that I shared the gospel with this student or with this person, would I still do it? Peter preached Christ so that people would find out about Christ, not Peter. May we do the same. So in conclusion, we have the message of the only power in the universe to save. There is no other name besides the name of Jesus Christ by which man can be saved. It is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have salvation. And it is through the death and resurrection of Christ that we do works in his name and that we preach and teach in his name. Therefore, who deserves all the credit? He does. Absolutely. May we be glad to see the name of Jesus made famous through what we do and through what we say. And also, may we rejoice to see when others are doing the same thing, speaking and acting in the name of Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, many times we are guilty of wanting the fame of being upset when other people's are when other people are getting any sort of notoriety for anything good that they've done, even if it's in your name. And so, Lord, please forgive us. Fix our hearts; they're broken. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that in such a way that we would only seek your glory, that we would want your church. To grow, not so that people would know about Redeemer Community Church, but so that people would know about you. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.